Welcome to the British Army's Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Army Leadership. In today's joint podcast, we are joined by the two most senior soldiers of both the British and United States Army, as we look to understand the leadership challenges and synergies that face both our armies, and how, through our interoperability and unique relationship, we have remained steadfast as partners, both on operations and exercises, despite the changing nature of successive governments. Army Sergeant Major W.R. Gavin Payton joined the British Army in 1997 as a light infantryman and has served in Northern Ireland, Kosovo, Sierra Leone, Iraq and Afghanistan. He's also served as a corporal instructor at the Infantry Training Centre Catrick and as a Colour Sergeant Instructor at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, returning a few years later as a Company Sergeant Major. After serving as Regimental Sergeant Major of the 3rd Battalion of Rifles, he was selected to attend the United States Command Sergeant Major Academy in El Paso the first British soldier to do so since 1989. On return, he was selected to be the first Field Army Sergeant Major. In November 2018, he was appointed the second Sergeant Major of the Army, a role he describes as a soldier's voice to the four-star headquarters. Sergeant Major of the Army, SMA, Michael Grinston enlisted into the artillery United States Army in 1987 and has held every leadership position from cannon crew member to command Sergeant Major. His deployments include Operation Desert Storm, and Desert Shield, Iraqi Freedom, New Dawn, Inherent Resolve, Enduring Freedom, and Kosovo. He has served as Command Sergeant Major to the 1st Infantry Division Headquarters, 1st Corps Headquarters, and US Army Forces Command. He was appointed the 16th Sergeant Major of the Army on the 9th of August, 2019. SMA Grinston has also attended the University of Maryland, gaining a BA in Business Administration and has graduated from various military schools, including Ranger School, Airborne School and Air Assault School. Sergeant Major and, and SMA, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the uh, the podcast today for the Centre of Army Leadership. And uh, what I want to do first is jump straight in uh, and look at your kind of personal uh, leadership uh, uh, perspectives. Um, so firstly, um, to you, uh, Army Sergeant Major, you've both served in every leadership position as enlisted soldiers. Uh, how has your leadership changed or developed throughout your career? I hear Sergeant Major or SMA, and sometimes it's like the, the funny part about all this is, you know, first, Cav, you know, what a great person to be on this podcast with. That's just like, first of all. But, um, you know, the funny part is, you know, some people say Sergeant Major, some people say SMA. For me, I answered anything. And people go, well, what do I call you? I said, well, just don't screw up Alexander's husband and Sophia and Isabella's dad, and then I'll be okay with it. So, those are my favorite titles, but, you know, to really talk about leadership and how it's changed, I think is, it really has changed. And I don't think what works at the Sergeant Major of the Army level is ever going to work at the, you know, the private or soldier level. It's just a different leader. You have to engage as a Sergeant Major of the Army just to today. So today I was in a meeting with the Secretary of the Army the chief of staff, the army, every four-star general in the army, they're doing a conference today. And then right after that, I'm in a meeting with uh, a soldier, a staff sergeant. So your thinking will have to go all the way from a strategic and how do you influence and message to very senior leaders in the army down to a staff sergeant. So that's kind of what it's like uh, on a daily basis to be the sergeant of the army. But when you're a young soldier, what that, what that looks like to me is it, it depends on every level. 
when I'm a young leader, my leadership is I know my soldiers. I was much more direct. Um, I was not very forgiving on certain things. I was very hard. And, and I think that's that's okay. Somebody's like, would I change that? I actually wouldn't have. Um, you know, the leader that I am now is not the leader I would want to be as a staff sergeant. You know, trying to, you know, talk to a four-star is not the way I would talk to uh, my soldiers. And that's not the way I was. It was very direct and it has evolved over time. Uh, I could say I was much more aggressive, much more harsh, but I had to be too. When you had, you know, five years of combat and giving direct orders when you're being shot at is not the same kind of leadership you're going to have as a Sergeant Major of the Army. Although sometimes it feels like I'm being shot at uh, and some people want to, uh, but you have to have a, a much more influential leadership. But when I'm at the, the squad level, it's very direct, uh, direct leadership, set the example kind of leadership on a daily basis because they see you right there up close and personal. So, I mean, this is something that, that Tony and I speak about on a monthly basis with our other Five Eyes partners as well. And um, we learn from each other and it's a, it's a great opportunity to bounce ideas off of um, off the different members of the Five Eyes. Um, I would say that, so my junior leadership was much the same as Tony's. It was more direct. It was harsh. Um, it was uh, It's not the way, when I look back at it, I would much rather have led back then the way that I try to lead now. And the reason I say that is because my leadership journey has, it has been a journey. Leadership is a journey. You don't learn it on week one, day one. You don't learn it after the platoon science battle course. You know, I'm still learning every single day. I learn from my mentors. I learn from my international mates. Um, I, I learn from my soldiers. Um, and I just wish that I had the education on how to be a, a greater leader earlier on. You know, I'm a product of um, of my regiment. You know, I, I've learned by osmosis. Uh, my leadership has changed and developed in line with the people that I see and work for and with every single day. But of course, the British Army, which is slightly, lif slightly different to, to um, what Tony has in the, the American Army, is that we are very regimental. And one regiment is very, very different to, to another regiment. And how we do our business is completely different. Uh, and now when I sit in this job as the, the, the second sergeant major of the army, I see all of it. And I get to cherry pick and, and take the, the best bits from not just my, you know, the army that, that I work for, but also from, you know, my mates who work for different armies. So I'm in a, a hugely privileged position. And what I want to do is get all that goodness and, and drive that down as, as quickly and as, and as fast as I can. So that leaders at the, you know, the squad level at the, at the section level, um, they're learning the lessons right now at the beginning of their leadership journey that I'm learning at the end. Uh, the, the army's a much better place and leadership is so different. And uh, it's, it's, it's better different. I personally believe that's because um, along my own journey, I've, I've picked up so many good things along the way, which I pass on to, to other people, but I've also picked up lots of bad things, which, you know, I shudder when I think about some of the, some of the things, you know, some of the ways that I behaved as a, as a young corporal, for example. But that was a product of osmosis, learning from each other. And having the Centre of Army leadership, for example, is a, is a huge step forward. Antonio, I know you've had this, this type of thing um, in, uh, in, in your army for, for a long time, and we've spoken at length about this. But for us, this is a big deal. And the stuff that Chris and, and Colonel, um, Colonel Sharp are doing at, in our army is fantastic. Yeah, I think uh, you make a, a good point. And one thing I would like to 
you know, caveat uh, on this too, as, as we kind of move on is you highlighted something that I completely agree with is just the lifelong learning. And some people, I think, no matter what level leadership you're at, they kind of forget. They think, oh, I've arrived. And I think that's, you know, for me, that's when it's time. Maybe you need to leave the military. If you when you get to a job where you think, you know, everything, um, I think that's a, very dangerous uh, in any level. So I'd say I, I completely agree. And because I had to learn how to be, you know, the Sergeant Major of the U.S. Army. But every level, I had the exact same problem. So I think you bring a, a brilliant point, and I appreciate it. It's the, the benefit of hindsight is golden, uh, and understanding our ability to, of what we wish we could have understood the spectrum of the uh, the transformational, transactional leadership uh, spectrum as we move forward, and, and how we could do, could have done things better. But looking back over your time in your careers, uh, what has been your greatest leadership challenge, uh, and what is the greatest lesson that you've learned uh, as part of your your education as you've progressed through your leadership journey? You know, greatest leadership challenge. I think at every level, I could probably pick one leadership challenge I've gone along the way. But, you know, I get a lot of really difficult challenges as a Sergeant Major Army. So I would say my biggest three, the most difficult things um, right now is really trying to lead the army through some challenging times. I mean, we got COVID, we've got, you know, the whole country, the whole world is dealing with this. And then we had some civil unrest and, you know, once in a lifetime pandemic, then you got some civil unrest in the country, in the U.S. And at one point we still have COVID, we got flash, we literally had floods on one side of the U.S. and uh, forest fires on the other side and COVID. <laughs> and then throw an election and, uh, it was a heck of a year, but still my greatest challenge in all that is how do we get out of that and how do we do build better cohesive teams? So just to stamp out some of those things that we have in the army, just as, and I mean, is really, really challenging. And to, you know, when you have such a large army to get this through where you don't have any, my goal is to have zero sexual assault, zero sexual harassments, no racism, and no suicides. That's an extremely large challenge. And, and I think I spend a lot of my time on how do I get this down to the leaders? Uh, and that's through a very large army. And that's kind of my, that's one of my greatest challenges to message to a, an extremely large force worldwide to do what we think is right. And it's, you know, do we bring everybody together? We just like, all compos, one million people, <laughs> that'll never happen. So uh, that that whole communication and then having them believe it, not because I said, or it's not something, uh, a message that I'm on, it's because they truly have that commitment to the army. So my greatest challenges are stamping out some of those behaviors that I talked about but not just because the Sergeant Major of the Army said so. It's because I truly believe that a cohesive team doesn't have any of those bad things. So in other words, I'm trying to change this culture and that really brings in cohesiveness. And that has been uh, a monumental task. That's something uh, I'd really like to say in four years I got through, but I'm still 
I'm still learning. I still try to get some learning. And so what's my biggest lesson learned is what it, it recently is just saying it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I've always known that, but uh, I had to put more, a uh, lot more effort and say, this is something I'm going to drive through the army and spend a lot of time with that. And what's my personal involvement? Um, you can't just have a narrative and then have a great idea, but uh, you've really have to uh, drive this through and it will take your personal involvement. And that's my greatest lesson, and which would could be at almost every level is you have this commitment. Um, you want cohesive teams or you want something, whatever that is, but are you willing, not that you told somebody, are you willing to actually check it to, and get it done to make sure that that goes through fruition, whatever that is, a school that somebody needs to go to, is to get in the barracks right or whatever. But uh, that personal commitment applies to almost every position that I've had to include the Sergeant Major of the Army. Yeah, and, and just to, to add to that, um, lots of the, the, the problems that, that Tony highlights there are exactly the same here in, in the UK. Um, and, and across all, all the other armies that, that I work with as well. I think my greatest leadership challenge, uh, so every rank has been a leadership challenge. Um, it's just been different in, in every level as I've, as I've managed to scrabble up the, up the ladder. I think if I was to, to, to phrase it, to uh, put it into one sentence, I would say that, um, you know, being uh, talented is not enough. It's simply not enough. You've got to be a good person. Now I can make a good soldier from a good person. Good teams are made of good teammates, uh, but being talented simply isn't enough. So the challenge for me as a Sergeant Major of the Army is to, is to try and get everybody to take that responsibility, to understand that, okay, I might be fit, I might be able to shoot, navigate, communicate, et cetera, but that's expected, right? That's what you sign up for. You should be able to just do that anyway. It's, it's how we make people good teammates and get everybody to, to take responsibility for everything they do all the time. Uh, and one of the lessons that I've learned along, the, along my journey, well, I've, been, I've, I've really wrestled to get my arms around this challenge. And I've asked for advice off, off Tony and Australia and New Zealand and Canada too, and lots of other people. Um, but it's just to understand that soldiers don't make mistakes on purpose. But if they make mistakes, they're not performing, they're doing something that's wrong. It's to scratch the surface and find out why. Uh, and I think as a, as a young corporal or a platoon sergeant, even as a company sergeant major uh, in our army, you know, I was getting that wrong every day, hand over fist. And that's, I want people, if, if their soldiers aren't performing, is to scratch the surface and find out why. And I, I genuinely believe that we need to love and lead our people through our problems. But to love your people, you've got to know your people. Uh, and you've got to, that's not just their name and their rank and, and their regimental number, that's their family, it's where they live, it's where they come from, it's their background, it's their traditions. And that's a real challenge. But that's a leadership lesson that I've taken out of this. And um, like I say, the, the greatest leadership challenge that I've got is trying to get everybody to, to understand that being talented is not enough. Um, good people make good teammates. Yeah, and, and getting to know our people, you know, knowing our people is so important, but, you know, not just when we're at home, but also for combat effectiveness and operational capability uh, as we drive forward on the battlefields. 
I, I want to move on uh, on to sort of the next stage where we can discuss and, and dive a little more deeper into some of these subjects. And uh, so first thing I want to ask is, what is the profession of arms and what is unique about the land environment and why is leadership so important to it? If I can start with you, uh, Mr. Patton. Uh, okay, uh, good question. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite tight with, uh, with Jake and Speedy at the, at the Royal Air Force and the Royal Navy. And I don't think they'd, um, they'd disagree with me when I say that, you know, if you're in the Navy or the RAF, it's about putting people onto platforms, people onto equipment, uh, to, to crew, uh, to crew a, a ship or a boat, depending on what type of, you know, what side of the ogging you're on, to, to crew an aircraft, a fighter jet, a reef, whatever it is. Um, but it's about getting that platform into action. I think for the army, it's about putting equipment onto people, not people onto equipment. And, you know, our greatest asset, our greatest resource and our most valuable weapon system is the person carrying the weapon. That's, and, and that's where the, the challenge I believe is different for us as, as, a, as soldiers. I mean, there's lots of things which, which you know, bleed into, into each other's service, but being a soldier and leading people in combat um, or in barracks is, is hard work. And we expect our junior commanders to do so much with our people with very limited training. And of course, now in the, in the age of um, social media and smartphones and the internet and et cetera, our corporals and our, our lance corporals, they're, they're the people making the decisions at the tactical level, which can now impact the strategic output because everybody now has a window into the world of the soldier, uh, regardless of where you are in the world. So the army I think is, is slightly different because of, because of what we do and how we do it and in the way that we carry it out. Uh, and SMA, just, just, to, just to move on from that, I, I've noted re recently that uh, the US Army in particular have kind of reinstitutionalized the rank of corporal prior to promotion to sergeant, but due to the significance and the importance that, that you're now placing on that leadership role and that position uh, and to gain that valuable experience before they progress up, up that career structure. Yeah, I think, you know, the, for us, um, even going back to what you said before, and, you know, I, every day, I, you know, I love talking with, uh, you know, Gav on these topics because he just got brilliant ideas. So I really appreciate that. And the profession of arms, we were kind of hand in sync with that too. It's like, we're just in tune with that because, you know, the chief of staff of the army said people first. So that, that whole profession is extremely important to us um, in the U.S. Army. And one of those things we say, we pride ourselves on our non-commissioned officer corps. You know, we, we, we boast about it to other countries. We boast about it to anybody. And it starts at the corporal rank. So we just said we had this, we had a rank, we had this thing. So it leads to the profession. How do we start earlier teaching our young uh, soldiers how to be a part of a profession. And, and it starts with the non-commissioned officer corps. We have the NCO creed says no one's more professional than I. I am a non-commissioned officer. So we wanted to say, can I get that in earlier? And we had corporal rank, but it was just, well, if you need a sergeant and you don't have one, you can have him a corporal. So we really wanted to formalize this. So you did your warrior battle drills and tasks. And then you would go to a promotion board and then at the end, you're fully qualified to be promoted and we'll give you that start as a corporal. And then 
you're a young NTO, maybe you make some mistakes and learn some of those lessons. And then you get to be a sergeant. This is um, a wonderful idea. I'm glad we're moving this in direction and I'm extremely excited. And it's already starting to make a difference. You see folks doing ceremonies on this. Again, it goes back to you know the previous question about being a profession and being part of something bigger than yourself. And I think uh, that corporal that we in- implemented just recently is the powerful tool to get that started. Just moving forward with kind of that, that development opportunities, you know, why is professional and personal development to complement that professional development so important to the army? Thinking back to what Tony just said then about um, corporals being really important, uh, and he will know, and, and Chris, you'll know as well, that I think that corporals are the most important part of, of our army right now because any order given, even by the chief of the general staff himself, is is carried out ultimately and supervised by a corporal with with their soldiers. Um, so they are they are super important people, and that's why you know it goes back to my point earlier where I say being talented is not enough. I, I mean, as a as a young corporal, I think I was okay. I, w- I was all right at being a corporal. I just wish as a corporal I knew then what I know now because I would have been a much better person along with being that corporal. So we talk a lot about toxicity and toxic leadership and it leads into my second line to the army where people don't make mistakes on purpose. And, you know, I, you know, I see it, I've done it. I, uh, I hear it as I, as I go around, people tell me that we still haven't eradicated that completely and we've still got some behavioral challenges and we just need to teach that out of people. Uh, but everyone's got a responsibility to to be willing and ready to to learn um, how to be a better person, not just a better soldier. And we're really good at at grading people on you know navigation and all these other things. But how do you grade people on personality? How do we make sure that the people that we're talking to have got this uh, share the same morals, the same values and standards um, that that I do as a sergeant major of the army? And I always talk about the army not being, you don't join the army and then you're, you're transformed into a, a clone and all, all soldiers look the same and talk the same and they all look the same. I mean, it's, it's not, the army is a, is a living tapestry. It's moving consistently. And the army's got to, has got to veer and haul and it's got to move and adjust slightly to, to allow people to be their whole selves when they come to work. And I think that's really, really important. When I joined the army, it was, hey, you'll do this because... Whereas now we need to be explaining the why and, and listening to people and receiving challenge, be comfortable with it. And that's how you develop and that's how you get better. But I'm a firm believer that you can only do that with the right people, with good people, with good teammates who are educated and understand not just how to dig a foxhole or a shell scrape, not just how to hit a target or to, uh, or to call an artillery, but also know how to get the best out of themselves and their team by the use of soft skills. And we talk about in the future, um, combat may be more machine or machine early on, striking the deep and long range artillery and stuff. And, I, you know, I get all that. And, and armies change and, uh, you know, change shape and stuff. But you'll never replace the, the skill of, you know, reasoning, reassurance, sympathy. You'll, you'll never be able to replace that with a machine. And what that means is the soldiers that we use in those spaces have got to have these skills because that's what they're there to do. And it's not just about shooting targets, it's about being good people. So that's why it's, it's important not just to be um, good at soldiering, but you've got to be professional um, at, at soldiering. Yeah, Gavin, I think I, the only thing I would add is, 
you know, I think when you look at your life and you bring up a really good point, and, I, and I've said this several times, and I had a lot, you know, it goes back to what, you know, we said before, it's lifelong learning, right? So we used to have a phrase in the army that said, all I see is green. You know, I treat everybody the same. And I even heard it today in the news, and I'll not quote that too much. <laughs> so, but I, you know, this is a very common um, uh, thing to say, uh, but what I learned was I was wrong. I even had that say, oh, you know, you, we, we treat everybody the same. And, and somebody says, well, why is that wrong? You're professional. So that's the profession says everybody's the same. Y'all wear the same uniform. And all I see is green. I don't, you know, pay attention to anything else. So here's the personal side of this is, and why do I think I was wrong? This about a year ago, they, a soldier, we're sitting in one of these sessions and they said, when you, when you say something like that, you don't see me as a person. You see me as a number or something that's in a uniform. And even more importantly, you don't see if I were to take this uniform off, that I may be treated differently based on the color of my skin, based off my gender or something. So we have to be professional, but we also have to recognize that there are people behind that. And that's my own learning is that when I said those things like all I see is green is, well, I acknowledging that you may have differences than me. And I acknowledge that, not that I can actually, I can't live in your skin, I can't be you, but I have to have some empathy, empathy with you to know that you're going to have a different challenge because you are different than me. And as a professional, I need to acknowledge the personal side. And if I can acknowledge the personal side, I can be a better leader. And I think it does take both of those. And both of those, what I found um, recently is extremely important because you want to see the entire person, not just that they're a soldier. And Tony, I think it goes back to, you know, you can only really lead your people if you, you know, if you love them and you understand them. And we've had plenty of conversations about this, about, you know, one of the things I unashamedly stole directly from you, Tony, was, you know, how do you start the conversation? And, and those, you know, I, I bring that back to my army and, um, it's really important to understand what's important to, to every single teammate in our in our squad. So yeah, and ha having those difficult conversations and getting it in the open, in yeah. the open forum, uh, and really kind of digging into the detail to understand the different points of views and that diversity of thought that that sits behind it as well. Um, you know, we've already spoke about it, uh, Army Sergeant Major, but you know, from the from the British Army's perspective, and we've heard you say numerous times, you know, our junior NCOs are the people that deliver victory on the battlefield at the point of contact for our commanders. This is empowerment in its purest form. Why is empowerment such a key component to the development of our future leaders? And I know that this is something, uh, SMA, that you're, you're also trying to get after with your kind of, this is my squad program uh, as part of building cohesive teams within within the United States Army. Yeah, so the, um, the empowerment piece, Chris, is, is hugely important. Uh, if you don't empower your junior leaders, then they just become soldiers. And uh, when, when it goes noisy uh, in combat, people, soldiers become subordinate and they all look to the commander and they look for someone to give them orders. Uh, as even our most junior commanders, our lance corporals, they, they don't need to be mates with their soldiers, they need to be commanders because their soldiers don't need friends in combat. 
or in a, a difficult leadership challenge. They need to have a leader. But that all relies on trust. And what a, something I, I try and enforce all the time is the importance of trust and that you cannot surge it. You cannot surge trust. Um, so I've grown up in an environment where, in an army years ago, where it was okay to be um, a bad soldier in camp, but because you're mega on operations, that's a bad soldier. Because if I can't trust somebody who's, who makes the wrong decisions um, when they're fed, watered and rested in camp, then how can I possibly trust them when they're not fed, not watered and not rested in combat? They're bad soldiers. And you need to be able to see that in your, in your NCOs uh, and in your junior commanders. And by giving them trust, and there's a, you know, soldiers don't make mistakes on purpose, but there is a difference between a mistake and reckless behavior. And that's where commanders and soldiers, so subordinates and, and, uh, and leaders, need to have that open dialogue with, with the challenge culture. And only when you develop this challenge culture, where it's okay to issue and receive challenge, will we generate a learning environment where everybody is properly empowered. As a Sergeant Major of the Army, I have a group of mentors. And before I go into a, a, an engagement with, with people, I'll phone them together, we'll have a meeting and say, hey, I'm going into this sort of thing. What, what sort of things should I be looking out for? What's your experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a network from corporal through to staff sergeant. And I'm the Sergeant Major of the Army, but I learn from them every single time I talk to them because they're, they're, they're important. And that's empowering them, right? But um, if you don't empower your junior commanders all day, every day, uh, then you don't trust them. And if you don't trust them, they won't feel trusted. And then they will just, they will just follow like everybody else. So, yeah, and I'll, I'll just wrap it up with, we talk about empowerment and leadership challenges. We don't talk about followership enough. Everybody's got a responsibility to lead if you're a leader. But if you're a follower, it's your responsibility to follow. And uh, one thing I learned from, from Tony's Academy in, uh, in my time in the States was that our soldiers deserve outstanding leadership. They're entitled to it. But actually our leaders are entitled to outstanding followers. They're entitled to it. And until that leadership and followership piece um, is, is level, then we're gonna consistently bump, you're gonna get friction there. And that's where empowerment, trust and challenge uh, comes in. If you can get all that working together, then um, you're going to be on to a winner. Well, Chris, this is um, this is an incredibly important uh, to the United States Army, and I could probably probably could talk for a whole hour just on that one little thing of empowerment. And but I'll try to I'll try to keep this somewhat brief. And I said like, and I really put a lot of thought into this in the last year, especially you know you work in Pentagon, and we do a lot of things with our other services. I really tried to figure out, like, why is this, it's literally, like, this is the, the crux of everything in the United States Army that we do, and why is it so different from just the, you know, the, the Navy and the Air Force? So, in the Air Force, you have a fighter pilot, and then everybody else, maybe ground crew, you got different planes that you fly, but you still have the fighter pilot. And then that's the, we'll say that's the lead element of what they do in the Air Force is the fighter pilot. And the Navy, you have the ship. And then you have the ship is commanded by a commander and everybody in the ship may be rowing together, or, you know, not to poke fun at them, but, you know, it's all, 
they're all together. You know, it's a ship, but there's still a commander of the ship is still an officer. Well, here's what, you know, when I articulate this whole empowerment and why it's so powerful to us. In one tank, you'll have the platoon leader. In the other tank is going to be the platoon sergeant. They're both doing maybe the exact same job at that same time. And for an NCO just to say, well, I don't know, I just need to, to do what uh, they tell me to do will never work in a battle on ground combat. <laughs> and if that tank gets taken out of the platoon leader, who is going to lead the platoon? It's gonna be the platoon sergeant. We're not gonna, oh, wait a minute, let me give you a few minutes. Let me fly in a new one real quickly. So in order for us, and that's why we're so successful, I think, is that we have this thing that we teach every day is that you are empowered. And we have to reinforce that in our garrison. We have to reinforce it in, and what I love is the challenge culture. And, you know, we, in the army, you know, we just like, you know, why did you not make that correction? It didn't matter who it is. You know, it's like, that's what we pride ourselves in our NCOs is that, hey, you have to make that correction. That's empowerment. If our officer corps and the United States Army said, we don't want empowerment, it would just, the whole thing would just, to me, may go away. You know, it's like in some countries, um, you know, it's like, okay, you've got the leader and everybody else. And then if you shoot the leader and it just kind of all goes away. Well, in the army, just like, yeah, we shot him, but I knew the orders and I'm going to execute this mission. Um, so it's not just important in our combat. It's just so important to the fabric of the army. And I really put a lot of thought into this. And that's what it was a little different because in the army, the person doing that exact same job, you got one, maybe the platoon leader, maybe an officer, but then it could be a sergeant. Um, and, and if you don't teach that empowerment every day, uh, then I think sometimes those missions would fail. And that's why when you said, you know, how important is this is my squad, that's what it means is, you know, I'm going to take care of my people no matter what in my squad. And squad isn't exactly, you know, rifle squad. It's just, you know, those people that are close to you. But I think what Gab said is extremely important about this whole empowerment thing too, is that you want people to say, that's my whatever, that's my sergeant major or my squad leader. But you also want the squad leader to say, that's my squad. When you say that, that's that ownership and to still gas word, that love is that you're proud to say, these are the people I'm with. You want to be a member of that, that just says that one little phrase where I say, those, that's my squad. And you're very proud of that because nobody would say, oh, that's my squad if it's really bad. And you wouldn't say that's my squad leader if it's a bad squad leader. So just that phrase, but I think it does come with some empowerment that you are gonna take care of all those things and we hold you accountable for that. If we don't, are you really the squad leader? Are you really taking, are you the follower? And I really like uh, what Gab said about the followership and, and I, I completely agree with that. Um, I even say that when I talk about this is my squad, I say sometimes I am a squad member. You're like, you're the Sergeant Major of the Army. What, what do you mean? Well, I got the chief, the chief of staff of the Army, the secretary of the Army, um, Mrs. Wormuth, 
I got the vice, uh, Chris Lohman, I mean, uh, General Martin, and then Chris Lohman is the under, and I got Chief Dixon Carter, which is a senior warrant. And all those, I'm the lowest ranking one. <laughs> so, uh, so in that squad, I'm a squad member. And I have to know that I am, at that point, I am a squad member and I need to be a good follower. I, I still have the challenge culture, but I'm still a squad member and I'm obligated to be a good squad member. And sometimes I know when to follow and when to lead. And other organizations, maybe, you know, I am, I'm the squad leader, but you got to know your role. And it's so important because for us, I think that's just the fabric of who we are. And I think sometimes to be a great leader, you also have to be a great follower. It's, it's creating that, that unbreakable bond and knowing that, you know, we are all leaders and followers at the same time uh, as, as we progress forward. Uh, and part of that empowerment process, and, and we've already raised it already about, you know, our soldiers, they don't make mistakes on purpose. Um, but as part of that empowerment process and building that cohesive team, it, it, we need to create that climate of almost psychological safety where, where our, our soldiers feel safe in the knowledge that they are able to make mistakes and turn them into learning opportunities, uh, but, but not turn it into a, a fail safe, as you've, as you've mentioned before, Mr. Payne. How important is creating a climate of psychological safety uh, as part of building empowerment and, and development of our junior leaders? Um, where is it acceptable to make mistakes? Uh, and can you talk in, in any way from personal experience where you've experienced that, 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 those types of climates or, or suffered from it, uh, from a lack of it? Tony, uh, you, do you want to take this? I've been, I've been talking first. Yeah, yeah, I got, yeah absolutely. I think, um, I, I think this is really important. And it really talks about what we're already talking about. If, imagine, uh, and again, you know, I've been in the Army like forever. <laughs> so, um, so back early on, when you make, you know, you don't feel safe, you don't have that safe environment, you make a mistake, you don't tell anybody, you know, because you're afraid you'll be fired, you'll be crushed. And, you know, it's like all these bad things. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, I didn't tell you the RPG guy was there. Well, and then all of a sudden you get ambushed. I mean, that's what it means. Um, that's in combat. And hopefully you wouldn't do that. But when I feel that I have that, it goes back to what Gavin was saying, that trust, you know, I can say I made a mistake and I trust that it was a mistake that my leaders will allow me to make and I don't hide it. And this is some of the things that we're dealing with that, you know, I don't trust my leader um, to tell them things. I think that's a very dangerous spot that we're in if they don't have that safety. And that's why getting to know your people on a different level, talk to them. How did you grow up? Where did you come from? Tell me about that. And then don't, you know, even happened to me, you know, today, don't let people off the hook when they say, oh, I made a mistake. Well, tell me about that mistake. What was it? What was truly behind that? Don't judge them, just know it. Uh, and hopefully they'll trust you enough to dig deeper. But sometimes we even gloss over those things that people say, and we're not being very mindful. So I think if we just were paying attention, people want to tell us stuff. We have to be mindful of what's happening in front of us. But it, when they trust us, you can feel safe that I can uh, allow this person into my life. And I think where we don't have that, I think we're in a very dangerous spot that I don't want to reveal things to you. I hold it inside as anguish. And I think that's one of the things that's bothering our army with suicides. 
um, that I don't want to tell my squad leader. I don't want to tell somebody in charge. So I internalize this. I have no outlets. I'm somewhere not in my hometown. And then, you know, I just keep this bottled up. But we, if we could just, you know, find that safe zone where you can say, hey, I trust those around me. And how do I build that culture where it is trusting? Even if I'm tough on them and hard on them, doesn't mean that they don't trust me, that they're willing to tell me these things. And I think this is not just important for the Army. It's just important for our society. And that's why some companies are actually really good. And we watch this evolve, right? So if I'm on an assembly line, if I'm afraid of my leadership and there's something going on and I make a mistake, I'm not allowed to, I don't trust my leader, so I don't tell anybody. We can't figure out why I just broke on, I don't know, a thousand cars because I kept going and kept repeating it. But it would be better to stop the whole assembly line and say, I found a mistake. Let's fix it. Let's drill in and figure out why that machine wasn't working or why we we're putting the part in the wrong spot. And then we don't even have disgruntled customers because, you know, the, the vehicle's not working. But that's the same thing. If we really dig in with our soldiers and find out what's going on, they have feel safe with us, then we get to the root cause. And then there's a lot of trust and it doesn't cause us those problems later on. I think this is extremely important. And that's what we're trying to do in the Army is like know your people and create that safe zone. Yeah. Uh, uh, to pick up on what Tony just mentioned there about fearing your chain of command. I think it's really important. And I'll spin a quick dip real quickly. I remember being a, a young private soldier on an exercise uh, somewhere in the world. And um, I, I watched the, the section commander was, was a bully. I mean, he's very good at what he was doing with regards to, to tactics, etc. But the way he, he led us was through fear. And being a, a young guy in a new unit, I was like, all right, okay, you know, how does this work? Uh, and maybe a couple, a couple of weeks into the exercise, I jumped out the back of a vehicle and I'd watched this guy um, and how he, he treated his soldiers who made mistakes. And I made a mistake. As I got out the vehicle, I knocked a, a night vision device um, out the back of the vehicle. Um, as I got out and it hit the ground, as the vehicle kept moving on and I was like, that night vision, it's over there somewhere. But we were moving into an attack and I thought, if I say anything now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. So I didn't say anything. Uh, I got it anyway, because eventually we identified it was missing. We had to go and find it. But um, to, to play to, to Tony's point, if you, know, you talk about an area of psychological safety where it's okay to, to fail, it's always okay to fail. There are very, very few no-fail environment situations units in the Army. And it will be the same for Tony's too. So you can make you can make honest mistakes anywhere, but you've got to have that psychological safety, that environment where if you make a mistake, you can say, hey, 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 um, uh, that that night vision device just fell out. We need to stop and pick it up, as opposed to if I say something, I'm gonna get a black eye. Uh, and I think we're in a much better space with that now. But in order to to generate that psychological safety, you've got to you've got to let people know that's what you're doing to them. It can't be a surprise. You've got to educate them because I go on about this all the time and I, I'm always, you know, pulling Tony's ear on this as well. You know, how does it work over there? But it's, I don't just want soldiers to be good at soldiering. I want them to be, to be good people, to lead people to. It's about, it's about human connection. It's not just about helmets and weapons. And if you can, if you can love and gain the trust of your people, then people are always going to say, Hey, I've done this. And that production line will stop, prevent loads of cars being, being damaged. 
I would have stopped the attack and pulled out the night vision device. I would have found it. You've got to put people in the right space and let them know what you're doing to them so they can better understand themselves and the people that they work with and for. Yeah, you know, it's great points. You know, it always harks back and reverts back to, you know, knowing our people, creating those climates and allowing them to, to grow and to develop, you know, at those early stages in their careers. Uh, and, and just tied into that as well, you know, hierarchy has an obvious role within our profession of arms and not least defining clear lines of authority, responsibility and accountability. But hierarchy can breed negative leadership attitudes and behaviours. Yeah, how prevalent is, is this problem in your respective armies and what uh, can we do and is being done about those negative attitudes? Yeah, um, you know, I, I would jump in right here and say it, there is a hierarchy and I think it even goes back to what we're saying before. And this is something I need to do better with. I'm just going to give you full disclosure on this, this whole um, uh, this concept of what Gab was alluding to is how do you as a leader receive bad information? Um, that Because that plays into the hierarchy. So I have, and, and this is personally, I have to do better with this because, you know, you want to do great. And, and, but I've even, even this last year, I said, I need to do, if you said right now, one thing I need to do better on, I need to do better on how I receive bad information. Um, because unfortunately, I am constantly receiving bad information. Um, you know, you know, very few times people say, "Hey, you know, Sergeant Major, I got an urgent phone call for you. I just want to tell you something really just great happened around the world." So I think this hierarchy creates this mystical belief that uh, you know people don't receive you know bad information well and I have to again this is my own lessons learned and one thing I need to do better is you know how you do that uh, matters and I think that plays into it so in a very you know you know hierarchical kind of structure that you have you know if you receive bad information then they don't want to tell you um, if it's a flat organization, I think they'll, they'll just come up and say things, but how do you receive that? I think really matters, but it does create this. I don't want to tell the boss something. And, and that's cause that's the structure that we have. Everybody want, if that, if, if I tell my boss something bad, then, you know, you know, I won't get promoted because I want to, I want to move up that ladder. So this hierarchy does create something, but I think uh, it does create some negative leaders because, you know, again, you feel like you've arrived, you know, everything, and people are always asking you, what do you think? What do you do? And they want to, you know, get to the boss. But this is one of those things that, you know, even, you know, Joe Milley talks about is, you know, you need to have some humility um, in whatever job that you have and find ways to keep yourself grounded um, that you're either not above the law, you're just, you know, a soldier. I, I, you know, you know, that's one of those things like you have to still hold yourself to the army standard. I still take my fitness test. I still do this. Whatever the army says is the requirement. I do that requirement because, you know, I'm still a soldier. And I think that whenever we remind ourselves, and I, you know, I think that's really important that we got to find those ways, especially as leaders, 
to remind ourselves that we are still soldiers. We're still a member of a team. I'm a member of a squad. Remember, I'm a squad member sometimes, and I'm a squad leader. That that reminds me of that. And I think that's how we get it. Um, because sometimes, you know, our own hierarchy creates division where we, we don't move forward and you got to pass it to the next person who gets to like, what do you mean you didn't know that? Well, you know, so a flat organization, everybody tells everybody at the same time. And so it, I, I think it, it also creates delays because, oh, my goodness, you know, you know, Sergeant Major of the Army is talking to soldiers. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, he's got to talk to the, the force con, the forces command sergeant major. Then he's got to talk to this. He's like, yeah, but I need the information from that guy. And that's the one that's got it. So um, it, it does delay things. But I think the longer, the more we can remind ourselves that we're soldiers. And, and for me, my own personal lesson that I need to do better is how do I receive negative information uh, helps with flattening the hierarchy because if I can receive that well, people at any level won't mind telling me something's wrong. And sometimes I need to know that. You gotta be approachable um, with all these things. And uh, you gotta learn how to, those techniques to do that, the higher you go, because people don't wanna tell you things. Um, that's kind of how I see it. Hey, so um, this is something which I've, I've put a lot of thought into. Uh, and I'm always asking questions to my international friends and to, to, to our own soldiers too. And that's why I came out with uh, my first and um, probably most important line to the army, which is um, use your rank as an opportunity to do more for your people. That's what rank is there for. It's not there for people. It's not there as an opportunity for people to do more for you. Um, and I want everybody to, to, to have that responsibility. Now, the chain of command is really, really important, right? And it's it's run by CGS. Um, and there has to be one chain of command because ultimately decisions have to be made um, throughout the, the, the different levels um, right the way to the four-star space. But much the same as Tony, you know, there will be blockages along the way. It takes time. Um, and I will speak directly to soldiers to, to, to try and, and provide a transparent a transparency, a window into the world of the four three-star space. So people can see actually our commanders dig out for us every single day. They are really using their rank as an opportunity to do more for their people every single day. But even as, a, as an E9 um, Sergeant Major in a battalion, RSM, I, I had no idea what's happening in Army headquarters. Um, whereas it is spinning really fast to do everything it can for, for our people. Um, I think us as soldiers and command sergeant majors now, we have the ability to move flat and fast. If I've got an issue, I can pick up the phone and speak to any soldier in the army. Um, and I'm, I'm humbled to be able to pick up the phone and speak to the sergeant major of the American army or the Australian army or any other army in the world um, to, to try and get advice and, and to bounce ideas. And that's a flat and fast network uh, command chain, if you like, that I use to support my officers, which in turn ultimately supports our soldiers. So, and to, just to cap that off, lots of the, lots, I hear lots of people talking about the hierarchy and how it's a problem and how we need to get around it. Lots of it is a lack of education of the system or a misunderstanding as to how it works because the system, when it works, works extremely well. And I spend my life trying to identify blockages to clear them to, to do more for our people. So um, understanding and education of the system would go a long way to, to maybe uh, reframe, uh, reframe people's thoughts about the hierarchical system.
and that's the point you know is, is that education piece and that both prof professional and personal development and understanding those those, uh, those echelons and how it works and how we can get that right moving forwards how is the army addressing the culture or stigma that's attached to mental health from the us and uk perspective and how is the army creating an open environment uh, to enable these discussions to take place yeah this is you know we address this and the U.S. Army feels like every day I'm still battling against this culture. You know, sometimes I, there's a song that says it's, it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay not to be okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, we have to, you know, talk about fitness. And I use that, that statement very clearly because most people say, oh, there he goes. He's talking about physical fitness again. Um, but when I've used it, I usually say fit. We say cohesive teams that are highly trained, disciplined, and fit. But then when I put the words and the meaning on the slide, and you, as you visualize this story is the word fit is here. And the next word I write is mental. And then it says physical and then social. And I, I truly believe in order to have, you know, the, a better army moving forward, we have to have strong mental, physical, and social fitness. And without that, you know, you can't have, I, I find it hard to believe you can have this, you know, I'm super fit and um, I've got this really bad mental fitness. It just, it could happen. Um, but when you have strong mental fitness, I think that leads to strong physical fitness. And I don't want either or, I want them both. And it's okay to get, it's just like my physical fitness when I, go do a run. I get a tune-up and it's okay to get a tune-up. It's okay for us to talk to a military family life and, uh, consultant. It's okay to go see uh, behavioral health. It's okay to do these things because it's nobody would tell you it's not okay to go to the gym. I can't believe you're in there, you know, doing those squats or doing that push-up. So we message this a lot. We've got a lot of programs. We've actually put them down in units where we have embedded, we call it embedded behavioral health to get it down. So it just looks normal. Those people that you see, you know, walking around and you can just go talk to them. But this is one of those narratives we constantly have to talk about and it's still out there. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It's, this is alive and well. If you go seek behavioral health, you're going to lose your security clearance. You won't be able to be a drill sergeant. You won't be able to do this. Your career's over. And we fight against that all the time. The one thing that I try to message as much as I can is a lot. We, we actually found there's very small portion of our army has actually lost a job or an opportunity due to behavioral health. It's like less than 1%. Like of all the people that seek help, it's like less than one. But I really struggled like, well, so why is it this, this, you know, myth is still out there? Why is this so alive and well? It's because there's other things that people do sometimes, then they go to behavioral health. So if I was out drinking and driving, and then I went to behavioral health, no, <laughs> you got in trouble because you were drinking and driving your car and you wrecked your car. Um, and yes, you later went to behavioral health, but, uh, you know, you still, you know, wrecked your car and you were drinking and driving. When you really peel it back for us, we got to message this. We as a, you know, senior leaders and say, and we, we go seek behavioral health, it's okay. Uh, had Medal of Honor recipients talk about this. We're constantly trying to get our message out and from all senior leaders that 
this culture of getting a, a tune-up. Um, you wouldn't question anybody for going to the dentist if you got a toothache. You wouldn't question anybody to go to physical therapist if you got a bad knee. And we shouldn't question anybody for going behavioral health if uh, they're having uh, some issues. And we constantly fight uh, this narrative and we're going to keep going after it and we're doing better. So um, this is something that which, Tony, we discuss this a lot, don't we? You know, e each month we end up talking uh, about this to see how what each country is doing and how we can better serve our people. Uh, and I agree with everything that Tony's just said there. Um, I think in the British Army, we're starting to, to really realise now that you have physical health, you have mental health, you have social health too. Um, and that, you know, if you break your leg or if you break your arm, you know what that looks like, you know what that feels like, and so does everybody else around you. The thing that I think is important now that we must do to, um, for our people is to let them know what it looks like, what it feels like, what to look for in themselves and what to look for in other people in order to, to signpost people immediately who don't know that they've got a that, that they've got an injury or they need to get some some uh, some support and you know I'll talk from experience here um, on a on a tour on um, in in Herrick 16 it was really busy and as a company sergeant major i i had no idea how how hard the, uh, the the operation was hitting me personally with the things that i was having to to deal with and support given to to my riflemen and when the behavioural health team flew out to see me um, off the back of the stuff they could see on the system, um, they sat down and spoke to me and spoke to me for, for two hours. And when they walked away, I was like, wow, I, I feel so much better. But it also gave me tools and stuff to, to think about how I could do things better moving forward. And I, it was a real aha. I was like, wow. So that's why I feel like that. And that's what I can do to, 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 to prevent that from happening. And that wasn't just good for me, it was good for all of my people that I was looking after as well. And I think we need to, we need to get that fed into our, into our soldiers and into our DNA. And it, like Tony says, it's okay to, to not be okay. And just to talk about that. Um, and the signposting is really important. And the OpSmart piece that we've got going on in the army is, uh, is, is, is great and it's really good. And it's proven it's saving lives, but I don't want people to sit back and wait for OpSmart to come to them. You're training your body physically every day. I want you to train your mind mentally every single day. And nobody's gonna turn up to you and say, okay, cool, right, let's go for an OpSmart session today for an hour. It doesn't work that way. I need every soldier to identify what it is they need to do to make themselves stronger for themselves and for the people who they love and lead every single day. So um, we'll get, we're in a much better place than we were four or five years ago. But like Tony, we've still got a long way to go, but we're getting there. But it's everybody's responsibility to look after themselves and others. That's so. another point I'd like to, you know, which leads to, we both said the same thing too, is that, and I love what you said, Gavin, I learned something new from you every day. So this really is about knowing your people too. And, and this is why, you know, I talk about this is my squad, you know, and knowing them, and you said it too. But I, I've said this example a couple of times. I said, if if I walked up and said, I'm selling my golf clubs, you'd go, oh, OK, sure. No problem. Um, how much do you want for them? Um, and you wouldn't even know that there's something, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, what's the big deal? Well, wait a minute. That person really loves that thing. So there's no way, you know, he would ever sell his golf clubs. It just wouldn't happen. It's just not going to happen. But 
if you don't know that person, you don't even know that they're, they may not know something wrong. In your case, you said, you know, I didn't even realize that the more people know you and the more people can trust you, they can see and more people I know close to me, they'll know, man, something's wrong. You got this challenge culture where I say, hey, you're not yourself today. Are you okay? Um, so it's not just um, about seeking a culture that says it's okay to seek me mental health. It's also knowing those people so well that you even know that there's just, man, something's not right today. And, and then you can bring in that signpost. Then you can say uh, this, but if you don't know them and they go, hey, I'm selling my car, you go, okay, no big deal. Well, that's the car his dad gave him. He's had that and he worked that and he refurbished it. His whole life, that's the only thing that means anything to him. And he just said, I'm going to sell it. But you didn't know anything about that person. Uh, I think that leads to better mental health, too. Yeah, but it's about identifying those nuances in behavioral changes, the, the, those little sort of nonverbal cues that we can we can pick up on that, that kind of help us dig a little deeper, like we've already spoken about, ask those questions that need to be asked, you know, to have those difficult conversations with individuals and and really get, you know, dig into the weeds of why they're acting in the way that they are they, they are at the time where do you see the british and the u.s army of the future uh, what are the challenges and the opportunities in getting there as well well i say you know from my perspective um you know we've said this all along i mean we've been at war for 20 years but we've been at war with with our partners for 20 years too just recently I, I, you know, I like to we boast and say, oh, yeah, we can do all this. We can't. Um, so the future, we've been tied together uh, for decades. <laughs> um, and I think the future is uh, we have a strong partnership and it's going to be strong. And it has to be. Um, it just has to be. That's kind of the way I see it uh, in the future. And the challenges, <laughs> you know, well, they're everywhere the challenges of social media, the challenges of cyber and the challenges of an ocean, the challenges of quick information. You know, what's gonna, you know, what's gonna tear us apart would be some information or some kind of thing in the cyberspace. Um, but I think in the future, from my perspective, uh, I couldn't, couldn't see us being tied together, you know, for the rest of my life. That's just kind of how I feel that relationship has been since I've been alive. And I, I just couldn't see that any other way as an army uh, for any other reason that uh, we've always been connected. And even if you just look at what we've done in the last you know, 20 years, uh, we've always been partnered and we couldn't have done it with, without, our, without our partners, especially the UK. Yeah, and you know, Tony, you're, you, you've got an army of 1.2 or just over 1.2 million people. Um, and we have an army of uh, just over 110,000, including our reserve teammates. And you know, nobody can do it all on their own. So I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, for me, uh, I, I grew up watching movies on TV of the American army in, in combat, in war, and you know, lots of World War II movies and stuff like that. And now, uh, 42 years later, I find myself uh, shooting the breeze on a podcast with the Sergeant Major of the American army. Uh, which is, it just blows my tiny infantry mind. Um, but it does go to show the power of, uh, of, of that relationship um, and, uh, and the importance of that teamwork because we get stuff done on the, on the soldier network in order to, to support our officers who look after our people. 
I think that, you know, our people are our competitive edge. It's our soldiers who are the people who, who win our, our wars and our battles. And combat's changed. Uh, you know, I've read lots of books from history. Uh, I've, I've been in combat myself. And I also see how it's changed in my short time in, in the army. And I see how the army is adjusting its, its shape and size for the, for the future challenges. And of course, while the army moves and you know changes direction and my chief will talk about um you know boots to bots linking the the, the soldier to the satellite a shooter to a sensor um proxies and partners and all sorts of stuff in the digital age our people have got to be able to to, to do that and soldiers today are very different to soldiers 25 years ago but they're better different it's good different because we uh, we expect so much more from them so I think our greatest challenge is the pace of change. And Tony, you alluded to that with the speed of information and cyber and, and all that sort of stuff. And what is the young infantry soldier going to have to provide in 10 years time over what was expected of me 25 years ago? Well, it's going to be hugely different. You can see now some of the kit and equipment your soldiers are carrying that I've seen um, through the AUSA stuff. Uh, some of the stuff that my soldiers are carrying now, um, uh, you know, at the, at, at the front line. It just it's it's there's loads and it's so different so i think our people are our competitive edge um so leadership is a is our challenge um and how we can ensure that our people are are trained and equipped knowing what to do um at the right time as we start to move forward gone are the days i think maybe you know of just fighting in uniforms um, i've never fought an enemy in a uniform um so the enemy working above and below the threshold our soldiers have got to be able to work on that as well so so challenge our greatest challenge i think is, uh, is is the pace of change but i think our greatest opportunity really is our people and, and what we can what i've seen our our army do to our people and how it changes them um, and develops them for, for for the output they need to provide is it's just incredible and every single day i'm amazed by what our people provide and, uh, and I'll just finish off, you know, I was in, uh, in Sangin on Herrick 11 with, uh, with the PlayStation generation. You know, these people, they're no good, Sergeant Major, they, they play PlayStation, they, you know, they're not outside kicking coal down the road. No, of course they're not, no. But, but actually, I've never seen people do things like, like, like they did for me on, on Herrick 11. They were just incredible people. I saw, saw the best and the worst of people. And um, they were just phenomenal soldiers, super brave, super strong and super intelligent. Um, and, uh, and I trusted my life with them every single day. And that's the PlayStation generation. And now we've got the next label and the next label and the next label, but we've got to trust our army, that our people are our competitive edge. And we trust our system to develop, in, uh, develop them to make sure they can have the desired output. And that links back in actually to, to, to our culture and the evolution of our culture, you know, the, the significance and the importance of, of our, of our values and standards and just, you know, for our listeners, you know, from the UK Army perspective, our values are courage, discipline, respect for others, integrity, loyalty, and selfless commitment. Uh, and the values of the US Army are, uh, you know, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. How, is, how important is it that we, we continue to, to take our, our Gen Z soldiers, uh, uh, keep that, that, that generational difference, that diversity of thought, the way they think, the way they operate, whilst inculcating those those values 
into them so that we, we continue to move forward as an army, as one collective. It, we understand where we come from and that we, we know where we've been and that we expect the same standards and that they hold themselves in, in the highest regards. And they are essentially responsible for, for uh, based around the foundation of our success as those values. And where those failures, failures have happened, they've been relatively significant, you know, from the UK Wigston report perspective, you know, for deep cut uh, and more recently, you know, in the US and the Fort Hood uh, kind of issues that have taken place down there. Now, how, how important is it that we instill those values in our, in our young generation soldiers whilst not siloing them and blinking them down, down a narrow channel to where they're just brainwashed into, into what we want them to be from previous generations? Yeah, I think um, this does take some time though. So, you know, the, it goes back to the professional and the personal um, question is professionally loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, personal courage. Those are our values. But what were the personal values that I learned growing up? Do I just wash those away? Or does, do, how do I take the best of those and bring them into the army and, and make the army more powerful um, on a personal level? So I think that's what we're doing. And that's what I'm saying when I, I don't just see green, I see all of you, is how do I bring your personal beliefs, the good, and those that don't fit with our culture is that you don't bring it in here. And, and, and some people would say, well, why do you let people like that? Well, in the army, that's a big question. And I said, well, fundamentally, are we saying, can people change? And I would like to say yes. <laughs> so, um, so those are those base values of the army. Uh, we have to um, respect and understand where people come from. You have to know it. You have to see it. You got to honor those those values that they grew up with, and then we inculcate them into the army values. But the army values are our foundation. Um, and then what you bring to that, and if it's not good and you can't change you don't deserve to be in our army. Um, if you can, you go for that professional and that foundation and then those good values that are in our values that enhances you as an individual in your professional and personal lives. Yeah, and I think um, it's very similar to what I say to people, you know, being talented is not enough. You've got to be a good person too. And I totally agree that you don't want to wash away all the stuff that, you know, where you, what you brought to, to your army from, um, you know, from your growing up and your background, because I don't want everyone in the army to, to look like me, to sound like me, to think like me, because otherwise, how do you progress and how do you get better? You don't develop. I think um, that the time it takes to, for, for, you can't learn our values and standards in 14 weeks. You just can't do it. It's a, it's a lifelong journey. And that journey is facilitated and the lessons are delivered by commanders. Uh, but the follower, the person being led has got to be open to, to, to change because the, the transition from civilian to soldier is more than just being able to shoot straight, you know, be fit and communicate, medicate, etc. The people who deliver that transition are delivering a, a change behavior model they are they are fundamentally changing someone's behaviors in a 14-week process initially to give them a good foundation and i believe the wider the base of the foundation the higher the peak but in order to to deliver a good and and stable foundation you've got to teach that so that's why our instructors in basic training need to be so much more than just shooting and drill and pt 
They've got to be able to teach their people to be good people and a role model for the values and standards. And they've got to be the first stepping stone on that change behavior model. And then it's our, it's our leaders who continue on, continue to bring their soldiers along on that journey. And Tony, I totally, totally agree with you. Those who are unable to change or don't want to change, then unfortunately, you know, the army's not for you. Being talented is not enough. I don't care if you're the best shot, the fittest person in the platoon. If you're not a good person, we don't want you. SMA, uh, Army Sergeant Major, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast today. Uh, uh, and, and it's truly inspiring that, uh, that you, the programs that you're putting into place, the, the, the areas you're trying to get after, but, but you're not just siloing yourself within your own, uh, within your own areas. You, you speaking to each other. It's, an it's really encouraging to, to have that uh, understanding of that relationship that you both hold with each other and our wider allies and, and other uh, NATO partners. Before we leave, though, uh, to close out all our guests, we tend to throw a quick-fire question round. Uh, so, SMA, if uh, if I could start with you, best leader you have ever worked with? Sergeant Major Jim Redmore. Most inspirational non-military leader? Hmm. <laughs> I was going to say Colin Powell, but uh, I get you know his, his time as Secretary of State. Um. So, okay. Um. I'm sticking to that. <laughs> Most enjoyable leadership position? First sergeant in combat. What keeps you awake at nights as the Army Sergeant Major? The number of rising suicides. Uh, and with the benefit of hindsight, what would you tell yourself as a young junior NCO about leadership? <laughs> Don't be such a, a hard person. <laughs> Just a, uh, It's like, uh, yes, I'll be hard ass. <laughs> uh, Army Sergeant Major, over to you. Best leader you've ever worked with? So just before I answer, Tony, I'm disappointed you didn't answer this question with Gav Payton. I was going to say Tony Grinson, but but now I'm not. Um, so the best leader I've ever worked with is uh, is Jim Hadfield, Colonel Jim Hadfield, who's now the CEO at Five Rifles. He was my uh, my company commander, and he was exceptional. Brilliant. Uh, most inspirational non-military leader? Sean Fitzpatrick, who was the uh, the captain of the New Zealand All Blacks, uh, 93, I think, to 97, 98. Um, I've, I've learned a lot from him and the way that he's he's led his team. Most enjoyable leadership position? Uh, similar to Tony, um, a platoon commander in combat on Herrick 11, Sangin. What keeps you awake as the Army Sergeant Major? Uh, lots of things. I think to, to put it into one bracket, it would be a challenge culture, which would get after lots of our problems, uh, including the one you know that, that Tony and I talk about a lot, which is our soldiers taking their own lives. Um, sometimes if someone will just step in and challenge and say, hey, are you going to do something? Um, are you going to hurt yourself? How are you feeling? Then, then maybe we could we could do more to help these people earlier on. And with the benefit of hindsight, what would you tell yourself as a young junior NCO about leadership? Probably that people are fragile and um, love and lead them through their problems. Brilliant. Thank you very much, SMA, Army Sergeant Major. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, as ever. Uh, and I've really enjoyed uh, listening to you and, and hearing your thoughts on, on leadership. And, uh, and I really hope that it goes towards a benefit in developing our, our junior NCOs in particular uh, and anyone else that's listening uh, through their, uh, their career progression throughout their army careers. Yeah, I'd just like to say, uh, Tony, thank you so much for, for giving us your, your time um, to, to come and speak to us at the Centre of Army Leadership. It's, uh, to have you on board as the American Army Sergeant Major is, uh, is really powerful and I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but... Anything for you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, great time. And uh, you've been a gracious host.
I really hope you've enjoyed this joint podcast as much as I have, which has given a greater insight into the leadership challenges that both our armies face. It fills me with great confidence knowing that the flat and fast structure and the nature of the relationship between our Army Sergeant Majors help to share and solve the problems we face. Despite the vast difference in size between the UK and US Army, it seems we both share the same common issues. The stigma that still surrounds the issue of mental health and trying to get our soldiers to seek the help they need is clearly an issue that keeps them both awake at night. As SMA Grinston rightly pointed out, for a more combat-effective army, we must all strive for stronger mental, physical and social fitness. And as with any injury, whether physical or mental, we must seek the professional help we need to begin the recovery process. We also spoke about our junior leaders and how both professional and personal education plays a key role in their development. How empowerment allows us to create and provide the learning opportunities through a climate of psychological safety where mistakes can be made. All of this then encourages a culture of challenge which builds trust between our leaders and followers that ensures our soldiers don't just become subordinate on the battlefield, but are empowered to make the complex decisions that deliver victory on the battlefield. Throughout this podcast, the importance of getting to know and understand your soldiers has remained a constant theme. As Mr. Patton said, we must love and lead our people through our problems, but to love our people, we've got to know our people. As leaders, we must understand how we can use the range of leadership styles on the transactional transformational spectrum to our advantage and apply those soft skills to help coach and mentor our people in everything they do, to ensure they get the best from themselves and their team. As leaders, we must lead by example and set the conditions for how we want our commanders of the future to lead, ensure we use our rank as an opportunity to do more for our people and not for our people to do more for us. We must accept and embrace this challenge, creating an environment where our soldiers feel supported through a culture that cares and looks after its people both physically and mentally. An army that will provide challenge, encouragement and development, both personally and professionally, making our soldiers better people, better teammates and better leaders for the future fight. If you like what you've heard today, please do subscribe to our podcast. Please also share and comment, that would be much appreciated. For more information on leadership in the British Army, do visit our website, Centre for Army Leadership, and of course follow us on our social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn.